This is Han Solo, and you're listening to Octo Radio, a Star Wars podcast. I don't know. Fly casual. What is going on, everyone? And welcome to a brand new episode of Octo Radio, a Star Wars podcast here in Andor season, the Andor editions, the Andor explorations. These episodes have been so rich, and this one is no exception. Today, we're going to be discussing the ninth episode, which is crazy to think. Out of 12, we're already at nine. It's called Not Nobody's Listening. It's called Nobody's Listening. They put an exclamation point in the title. Nobody's Listening. Director Toby Haynes is back. Toby was on the first arc of the show. And the writer is Bo Willimon, of course, with Tony Gilroy as the showrunner and creator hanging over all of it. And I wanted to bring back a wonderful friend of the show, one of my good friends on air and off air in real life, somebody that I know has also been loving this and someone who has been freaking out with me about episode nine, Nobody's Listening. And that is the host of Triad of the Force, Goose. What's up, man? What is up, man? Thanks for having me. I am bursting out of the seams. This has been such an incredible ride, but not just the whole Andor as a whole, but like episode nine. It's just like, again, I've been saying it's a pressure cooker. And like with this episode, I'm just like, it's it's insane. It's insane what they're doing. Um really really happy to be able to talk about it so thanks for having me absolutely thanks for coming back it's been such a ride since i had you and nani on earlier to talk about that first arc so much has happened in the show so much has changed now we're here in the middle of this prison arc we have a few different storylines to talk about if you've been following along with our andor coverage you know i don't really like to take it like scene by scene and everything because it's like well then you could just watch it i'm not really gonna we're not gonna recap everything that happened but we are gonna break it by storyline by character talk about the different themes and the ideas and everything everything that's happening because now as of episode seven everything is in play now it's you know the aldani arc we were really focused the ferrix arc we were really focused but now we're bouncing around between your sort of three core elements of the show at this point which would be the stuff happening on ferrix the stuff happening on the prison or in the prison on uh, Narkina 5, and then the different levels of Coruscant, be that mothma luthan cyril karn the isb all of that stuff so i think we should start with Ferrix. I was telling you off air, this is one of the only times that I've ever thrown down notes um, for some <laughs> real logistical reasons, but also there's a ton going on. And this opens, of course, with the unleashing of the true side of Deidre. Now, we already knew she was evil. She works mm-hmm. for fascists. She's in the ISB. But now that she's finally gotten her way... We see what it unlocked inside of her. And then, of course, moving into this new character, Dr. Gorst, and the Hmm. torture that he unleashes. And Adria Ariona just delivering one of the most harrowing and horrifying performances that I've seen in Star Wars. Tell me how you felt about all the stuff happening here with not just the torture and the interrogation, Mm -hmm. but the the stuff with Salman Pak, who we've seen since the first arc, and how Mm -hmm. he's apparently going to be hanged now. Everything is changing now in the Ferex arc. It's been it's been quite it's been quite the the journey for the Ferrix arc because I remember back in the back in the old days of the first three of the first three episodes when we were uh, diving into that second arc a lot of us were discussing oh is is Adria's Bixcaline story done are we done with Ferrix are we moving on to like all these other plot lines to to have come back to Ferrix from a couple episodes ago and not just come back but keep delving and in, like into these characters I've been. Really, really a, a a joy, especially 
because like you know big skilling was a home run of a character for me adria's performance has always been solid and to see like that community that she and marva have created like uh in ferrix has been really satisfying to see come into fruition especially as a consequence of cassian's actions so in terms of like you know storytelling i think it's really good because like you said like before we had like these isolated arcs that were you know telling their own micro story but like now with like Bo, like Bo Willimon's uh, writing and this in this arc everything's just coming together in like ways that I didn't really expect and it's been really masterful storytelling because like mm. all these all of these strings and and narrative arcs that have been happening are now coalescing I keep saying pressure cooker because you know that's mm-hmm. that's how the show is has, has been working for me it's just like it builds and builds and builds and builds and even though we've had set action set pieces that feel like they're you know the the burst of 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 the show i we obviously haven't gotten like the true culmination of that pressure cooker so this scene in particular with didra and and bix was very harrowing because uh we were rooting for Dedra to an extent i think in like previous episodes and previous arcs as we were like well mm-hmm. she's you know she's She's part of that system, but maybe she's, you know, she's trying to do what's right in her mind because she's not able to see outside of her circumstances. And she's in a sexist system where she has to fight against like these, you know, these misogynists to be able to prove her worth. And we theorize to an extent that she come to the light and see like the error, maybe defect and something like that. But then this (laughs) this introduction scene is just like, nah, man, when you are in the system and you're fighting to be in that system that system will corrupt you and will take you within and it does you you might have yeah those struggles that we talked about that might be sympathetic but that mm-hmm. does not mean you are a hero anymore it just means right. that you that corruption is at your core so it, it, and it's really complicated because these are complex characters and they're in narratively they're still even more complex because Dedra's arc you know, it's split between the ISB and Coruscant and then the Ferric stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like there's 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 a lot of she's she's that connective tissue that's bringing everything together. So um, I'm really excited to like see what happens further in, in her story. But like it's it, it was a really impactful scene, especially because we get to see the horror of the Empire. It's just like, no, it's not stormtroopers that, you know, that can't aim and miss our heroes like <laughs> in the mm-hmm. original trilogy. No, this is a terrible dark sinister system that will asphyxiate you and will put its mm-hmm. boot on your throat until until you're 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 dehumanized uh, so yeah. yeah and that's the thing that's the thing you touched on it there she can be a character like Deidre can be your in she can be the emotional in for her storyline particularly in the ISB she was this this sort of the sci-fi fantasy analog for the struggles of women in the workplace and how we've seen sort of how they have to climb more and that all endeared us to her and it's supposed Mm -hmm. to but then when you take that lens and you widen it you're like oh but what ladder are you climbing no matter how much we want you to defeat them, like the other ISB agents like Blevin, or how much we want her to get her arguments through to Partagas, you mm-hmm. you can succeed, but still be narratively wrong. And that's the thing about, you know, they, they, they teach this in school, and I think a lot of people forget it, that hero and protagonist are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Antagonist and villain are not the same thing. Uh, to to Saw Gerrera, 
most of the other rebels are antagonistic toward him and vice mm-hmm. versa. That's not a hero's villains right. thing. Um, there are uh, Maul and Sidious are often at odds. They are both mm-hmm. villains, mm-hmm. but they are protagonists and antagonists in each other's stories. So Deidre plays with that. She plays with your audience expectations. And here, like you touched on with this empire, this new side of the empire, it's it's nothing that we didn't know that they... It's not that we didn't know they were capable of these things. We know they enslaved the Wookiees. They tried to genocide the Lhasa and almost succeeded. We didn't, you know, we don't know until later in Rebels that they have another home, but they've they've done terrible things. The destruction of Alderaan is a few years away, but it will continue to happen. But mm-hmm. to see it explored and played in this way with this uh, this particular type of torture that Dr. Gorst unleashes, the the Dizonite people of Dizon Frey, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wanted to give them a shout out because it's one of those things where Star Wars is good at telling you something. It's been happening since, you know, you fought in the Clone Wars back in the original right. movie. Exactly. Like, we it's don't have a mythos without really having yeah. to dig deep into it. Mm. Exactly. We have no idea what a Dizonite is, what they look like, where the, what it's like there. But a genocide happened. They recorded proof that it was happening. And through audio manipulation, focusing on children, you know, the, the abuse of the children and everything that is, that is in Star Wars about the youth versus oppression, all of those themes of darkness are there in that. Even, even stuff like that George was talking about with the mechanization versus the natural world. They took the cries of a natural species and turned them into a digital audio weapon. They mechanized pain, and they have now used that against this woman who is, much like the Dizonites, is is facing death, is facing the possibility of death, is facing the possibility that her friends might die. She's the entire time being reminded about Salman Pak's role and how he was tortured into giving up information, and we don't blame him for that at all. He was tortured. He also has a son to think about. He has his own life. They start to isolate you. And turn you against each other for survival, and mm-hmm. we know what the endpoints are. And I think it's it was an important note, an extremely dark note. I mean, this show you could make a there's a real world conversation to be had about should this show have maybe put a content warning, content warning. on yep, yep. on some it's of its stuff so specifically, yeah, and the this, previous one, I guess, because we yeah, had like a, the previous one, the the suicide scene. Mm-hmm. So that depicts... was, I know that's that's triggering for for. Lots of people. So the, the argument definitely could be made, especially with this one, the uh, scene at the end that we'll discuss a little further on. It's 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 dark and heavy things yeah. that this show is really doing that it's, it's really surprising to an extent because, like you said, we do know that the Empire has been doing these things. And even uh, A New Hope, Episode 4, we do see that Princess Leia is going to be interrogated and we do mm-hmm. know that she's tortured by uh, dr ball i always forget what that's called some, uh, yeah, but... a, a probe some someone in the someone in the is yelling at the episode right now that i don't know the exact number of the yeah. probe droid but yeah it's like okay, it's like okay nerd whatever uh, but anyway though, but it cuts away so we don't really see either like the actual torture taking place or the effects of it because next after we see uh leia she's fine you know she's ready to kick some ass and escape from prison but when we see big first we do see the effects we see big's scream like a blood curdling scream and then afterwards we do see the result where she's just like absolutely destroyed and 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 it's really 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 shocking to see that in star wars mm-hmm. uh but more shocking than that too i think is doc, uh, dr gorst uh and the joy the joy the glee the happiness mm. that he 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 projects when he's talking about 
because it feels like he to an extent it kind of feels like a kid at a science fair you know he's just talking about his experiment and it went well and i'm very proud and i just got a blue ribbon for you know for <laughs> best 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 in show and he's even talking like, about like the audio editing the man is acting like he's producing i, I was talking to right. our, our friend <laughs> talking to our friend jerry uh, from Bombadcast about how this guy is very like american psycho you think he's about to mm -hmm. put this on his on his record player like mm -hmm. huey lewis in the news like this guy is He's so bought in to what he's doing that these 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 Dizonites, these people were just an obstacle. They weren't a people. They were just this thing. And then they had this reaction, which he perceives purely as science because it's the humanity. Statistic. Yeah. Yeah. The humanity of the empire has been gutted from from out of them, from from each of them individually. And we've seen with Deidre, we empathize with her and then we see how much of a monster she could be. And it's hard at this point for Star Wars to, because it's been around so long and because there's so many stories, to find new ground. And that's not a criticism. It's just hard to find new ground. How many different types of black clad, red blade, mystical warriors can you create? How many different mm -hmm. kinds of uh, well-dressed British general types can you create? Like, <laughs> it's very hard to figure it out. And sometimes you strike gold and you find someone that feels new. And I think that Deidre and Partagas and Dr. Gorse, like these Imperials, feel new because it's something we touched on right there. You, you were talking about the Leia torture. It's a great example. We don't see it. Alderaan, we have a personal connection to now, but mm -hmm. as it's presented in the film, it's a random planet that explodes. Carrie Fisher reacts and we get the idea that it was important. We know it's important because of her message, but it's always been these things happened. And then you will see before, after maybe a little bit of the middle, there is no Star Wars story that is a Wookiee story about being enslaved. Mm -hmm. You know, there's nothing like that where you are in it. And, and Andor lives in the in-betweens. It, mm -hmm. it is the, what did happen when that torture probe went after Leia? Right. Mm -hmm. It's it's that. It, it, others, and that's not a criticism of the other Star Wars. Those are more pulp fantasy. Those are more family oriented. But this is the show that's like, hey, did you ever wonder what a character would be thinking or feeling during trauma during something like this uh it unpacks it all and we'll get to that in the other arcs as well but yeah it's just it's really interesting i think i said this on a previous episode i can't remember which one but in something like this in the skywalker saga particularly because those are all two to two and a half hour films it's not like we take time with obi-wan or with qui-gon or ray or poe or anybody to really think we don't stay with them and and see them wonder Am I going to die? Am I going to make it? You get moments of, um, I feel down. You know, Ray has one of the biggest ones of, of Rise, you know, everybody. Mm -hmm. And she has that moment. But we weren't in her head on the whole X-Wing trip there. Right. And Andor takes those moments. Like, we cut away from Ferris for most of the episode. But then we cut back just to see Bix sitting there. And mm -hmm. nothing else happens there. But you just see her sitting. And it's just a reminder of, like, this pain is so real. And it permeates everything and that they will find all new ways to dehumanize you. Last episode had the removal of the shoes and now it's these cries that are being inflicted on her. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's the idea of Deidre's worst instincts coming to the forefront. Mm. And we talked about with on all of our shows, I was listening to your coverage of mm. of the episode, uh, the, the end of the Aldani arc and the eye. And I know I talked about it here. The, the idea of Cassian gunning down Skeen. And mm. I've been obsessed with that scene because 
yes, Cassian shoots Skeen and it's an act of violence and everything. But in terms of the myth, in terms of Cassian's hero's journey, he's gunning down his worst self. In a way, that was Cassian's dark side cave. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the non-forced user version because Skeen is selfishness i'm in it for myself finn has that too with dj Mm -hmm. he has to choose to not be that deidre at any point could have made her choices and she got what she wanted and these are the choices that she made but that's a telling that's a telling part that's a very good point because i I was going to mention that i think one of the most harrowing parts of of deidre's violence even though she doesn't commit it herself but she still instigates it and to an extent takes pleasure from it but Mm -hmm. she's uh doing doing that violence against another woman and she makes a point to like uh, highlight the qualities that uh, bix has in her community oh you're a business owner and uh, you're a leader of your community she's like like mm-hmm. stuff like says like how she is like an important woman and to an extent i think that mirrors what you were saying about uh cassian and and when he when he when he guns down uh the, the traitorous uh person there in the group mm-hmm. and didra's doing the same thing she's in a way like cutting herself off from like that that part of her that misog- like the part that was that she had to overcome in the isb by overcoming the misogyny and the sexism she's killing that part of her she's like well i overcame it now and i do not have empathy for you even as mm-hmm. a woman it's just like you're nothing yeah. now. You're cog people, in the machine. Yeah, cog in the machine, exactly. Some people go through a struggle like Cassian went through with Nemec and Gorn and Vel mm-hmm. and Cinta uh, and Terraman. I think that's everybody. And he came out of that believing more and thinking we did do this as a group. And when he saw what Skeen was presenting, he was horrified by it. And he and he had he killed him and he told Vel the truth and he and he left. And that that's his journey is still ongoing, obviously. Um but Deidre, like you're saying, Deidre overcomes and doesn't gain mm-hmm. like Cassian overcomes and gains Deidre. She even says, Big says, you're not going to believe me anyway. Right. And, I was going to say that too. And, yep. and, she, and Deidre even says, yeah. And then she says, the worst thing you can do is bore me. Like she has gone mm-hmm. full into sort of a level of imperial sadism that we only see once in a while with people like Krennic, who thinks that his weapon of mass destruction is a thing of beauty. You see that a little bit with a little bit with Tarkin, depending on the story. Um, Thrawn is a little bit more like reserved about this, but Deidre is like frothing at the mouth um, mm-hmm. for this violence. And, and it's, yeah, I mean, Bix remains resolute, but Deidre is able to dehumanize and, and split the class what she perceives as the lower class, the Ferrex class, against each other um, mm-hmm. successfully. So this episode, I mean, this is a definitive, at this moment, a definitive loss. We are not 100% clear, and we could talk about it as we move over into the Coruscant stuff. We're not 100% clear on what info Bix gave up mm-hmm. outside of that Cassian was clean-shaven when she saw him. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that there's a spy on Marva. There's a couple different things like that that they're keeping an eye on. So there's still more to be said here, but... Before we get out of it, do you have anything else about this this Bix sequence with Deidre? Uh, I'm just terrified because, uh, well, we know how Rogue One ended and none of our heroes made it out. So, like, I have lots of actual fear based on that. And, like, having Tony Gilroy be the showrunner here that, like, uh, my girl Bix might not make it out. Like, that's... And I think, actually, that, I mean, that's a that, that's so telling of the quality of the storytelling that we are invested in in these characters and like mm-hmm. worried about their fate especially with characters that we didn't think we were going to see again after like that first arc 
and that now that we've been seeing them again, we didn't expect like them to fall into the traps of the empire, especially in such a dark and sinister way. So like I, you know, I'm I'm rooting, I'm rooting for her. She's always been one of my favorite characters, not just because you know she's played by a Puerto Rican actor, but but yeah, but it's really really terrifying moment for like all the people of Ferrix, especially because it's the women, right? That are mm-hmm. under threat right now. It's like Marva, who got the elder, and then then you got the 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 young one, right? So you got both ends of like Cassian's life that are parts of him that had defined him, and that both are under threat, and so is he. So like all the different parts of himself are being attacked in all fronts. So I'm really looking forward to see like how everything's tied up the, with a nice little bow, which hopefully is a bow that is not burnt down. But we'll we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a it's one of those things, right? Where it's like as as the writing compels us and enthralls us, and as the directing and the acting gets us in, we forget our knowledge, which is great. The story should be good enough to make you forget your knowledge. But then you're talking about it with your friends and you're like, oh, yeah, if your name is not Cassian, Mothmas or Saw or Yularen, you're fair game. Open season. Yeah, any any of you could go. Even my precious little B2 emo. Everybody is on the table for for death and destruction here. Um, which uh, we'll talk about now. Let's move over into light a candle for all of them. Oh, my God. oh yeah, no, it's, it's going to be whatever <laughs> the period between, especially because there won't be Andor season two in 2023. We're going to be waiting till 2024. It's going to be a sad year of looking back on whatever carnage happens here, oh, um, especially as we all built our Ferrix. Because you're right, it is all aspects of Cassian's life. It's the women that have influenced them. It's the friends he's made in his community. It's the allies he's made now along the way so far in his rebel journey. All these things are converging. All storylines are building toward Ferrix and another location called Spellhouse, which we'll get to um, a little bit later in the ISP conversation. But yeah, everything's building. And and I, the thesis statement for him is, of course, you cannot run. Running is what made you end up in this jail we're going to mm-hmm. save the prison stuff on Arcana 5 for last because Ooh, that's so good. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's where you want to, that's momentum Ooh. forward going in. But so Coruscant. Oh, Coruscant. Coruscant I just want to just amazing. Coruscant There's just so like, yeah, happening there. Oh my God. Yeah. All the different layers. Like we've always enjoyed Coruscant for the Senate chamber, for the Jedi temple, of course, Padme's world and her apartment and, and sort of the, uh, the glimpses we've gotten at other things like a glimpse of the lower level and attack of the clones, you know, a glimpse of sort of the mid levels and the industrial regions with Dex's diner. But what we're seeing here mm-hmm. makes the planet feel so rich. And between that, between that and publishing, you know, there's great Coruscant stuff and higher mm-hmm. public, uh, with Lena. So and everything. So definitely go check out those yeah. books. If you are not already, but Coruscant, let's start with ISB, just because we're spinning out of the Deidre stuff. So that continues um, to expand, and there's some ISB stuff going on with Partagaz in terms of this mm-hmm. rebel that Luthen mentioned to Saw in the previous episode named Anto Krieger, who... I, I, for some reason, I always think it's Anton Shiger. I'm just like, no, Goose is not Look, old country for old men. But... If he shows up and it's Javier Bardem, <laughs> that I will applaud because what they've proven with Andy Serkis is that they can keep a secret because I had no idea that he was in the show until no. that last episode. So whoever Anto Krieger is, if we see him, that's exciting. ISB <laughs> has captured Anto Krieger's pilot. They are combining now the information from Bix. They know that there's a connection now between what's going on with the Aldani situation, 
what's going on with these thefts. They think there's some connection to Krieger. They have one of Krieger's pilots. We know Luthen wants Saw to meet Krieger and that Krieger is planning a raid on this. Uh, I, I believe it's a is it is it a mining facility? Is it is it a power a power some sort of industrial facility? Something going on. I, I forget what it is. Someone can correct me, but it's a a thing, you know, a shipyard. Uh, you know how the Empire's got a bunch of those places. They keep mentioning Kafreen, which I know we saw like in Rogue One. Yeah, uh, but but I'm not sure if that's where it would happen. I'm yeah, I don't know if Spellhouse is part of Kafreen or. Yeah, but they they stage this pilot's death after they get all the mm-hmm. information that they want. They talk such about that. Good, such a good scene. Which yeah. is the, the dialogue. Yeah, the dialogue's on fire. Part of Gaz has become one of my favorite Imperials because, and, and you'll understand what I mean, Goose, just because I know like you and I both deal with bosses and different things like that in our careers. Part of Gaz, if he wasn't evil, is a great boss. Like he really does just have great managerial skills. And it's so weird to say that about an evil character, but the way that he's like, I want to hear you out. Are you okay with this? All right, let's explore that idea. Okay. Oh, but what do you mean by that? Like, he is the most level, but it's because he's one of the sickest. You know, his first mm-hmm, scene, mm-hmm. he says he sees the ISB as healthcare. Healthcare. Yep. And so he is someone of perverse and fascinating character. But how do you feel about everything happening in the ISB right now um, in terms of these these machinations and just sort of the storyline overall? Um, before we connect, we're, we're going to connect this out into Cyril. Mm-hmm because he's also brushing up against that now too. I thought I thought it was such a, a poignant scene and I thought that the way it was framed was genius because every single scene that we've had in the ISB in that conference room has been a full conference room with all of the other uh, officers and we get to kind of see all of them kind of trying to one up each other and see you know uh, who's going to be top of the class, right? Uh, so to speak, and now at this point, she's like, no, 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 it's gonna, it's an empty conference room with only the people that have earned trust and who's gotten that, you know, the star on their exam, and it's basically like Dedra and like and her cohorts. Uh, so it was very interesting to, because of what you were saying to like see him take her under his wing to an extent and like reward her for her doing her job and like trusting her and being like, okay. You've proven that your intuitions are correct. So we have to keep going that way. I mean, he's not letting her up the hook and just being like, okay, you don't have to justify it, but he will be like, okay, I'm going to entertain them, even though it might be a stretch. Since I can see all the points that you're connecting, we are going to go with it. But at the end of the day, I think the most terrifying part of that scene was when they're talking about uh, staging the, 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 uh, the ship, you know, uh, yeah, whatever, some sort of drip, some sort of technical uh, error that they wanted to look like. That way, his body can be found. And it's like and, and when we were we were talking when you were mentioning before when when he was saying that this is healthcare, and now again it's just like it's surgical precision. This is a it's an operation. We have to strike. We have to be surgical. We have to be uh, like I said. We have to be precise so that we don't leave any traces because we're the ISB. And 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 seeing that efficiency, right? Because it's. Terrible to see efficiency done for something that is, you know, a, a horrible act. Mm-hmm. So to see like how enthused Dedra was as well to enact this plan was uh, in, like just like a, a, a black hole into like the depths of the corruption of her character that I didn't think we were going to see. Because like we were mentioned before on Ferrix, they were 
building her up to be like a sympathetic character. And now it's just like, well, yeah, all that sympathy for all the struggles she went through are are still there, right? We can't deny them. But now it's been covered. I wouldn't say veneer, but it's it, mothered with like this, 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 this just dirt and grime and sludge of like the the evil and, and, and darkness that it was always apparently under the surface. So like that scene just brings to the surface that the Empire can be very efficient when it wants to be. And usually when it wants it wants to be in the service of of itself and to the detriment of anyone who is not, you know, in those ex in the orbit of power, right? So mm-hmm. to speak. Absolutely. So beautifully said. And I love that you ended that on orbit of power because somebody that desperately wants to be as somebody that is uh, forcibly entering the orbit of power um, with some of the creepiest dialogue possibly ever written or delivered in all of Star Wars is Cyril mm-hmm. Karn. And mm-hmm. and as we've seen the surgical precision that you were talking about there, and the ch- sort of the, you could argue that this is all a chess match between Luth and Rail and the ISB. This mm-hmm. entire show, the overarching battle, the silent battle, Cyril doesn't want that battle to be silent at first in the Ferrex arc when he's still dressed in blue cop. And he, in the Morlana situation, tried to be loud and proud about it. Now... He's developed this obsession. He's developed this this fixation and fascination mm-hmm. with what Deidre can offer him in terms of that. So what you're speaking to, these themes that we're talking about in the ISB are his new idealized version of what mm-hmm. something could be. Before he idealized the Primor, the Primor cops, he, he goes to that deputy chief or that, that that chief inspector in that first arc and gets brushed off and everything. But now that he's experienced... In the last episode, this interrogation, he saw that as, oh, well, now I want to be this. Now this is my idealized version of what a bringer of justice is, of what mm-hmm. a defender of the law is, a keeper of the peace is. All these things that he's perverted because the show is not subtle. This is a commentary on these guys that always mm-hmm. they need to latch on to whatever the next thing is. Yeah. I want to be like that. Oh, that's my president. I want to be like that. I want to be like that billionaire. I want to be like that YouTube grifter. <laughs> I want to be like all of them. Like, and exactly. he yeah. he's done this. We get another great scene of him and his mom where he does the 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 greatest the slurp, cereal slurp, slurp. Yeah. the cereal <laughs> slurp that that shook us all. Uh, it was so funny. And and the way that she plays manipulator power dynamics. Touch on that too. Mm-hmm. She goes from belittling, and the second she receives pushback from him. It's always a switch. And, so, and what if I cracked without you? What was I supposed to do without you? She's either putting him in his place as lesser, acting like she's so fragile, or only validating his accomplishments. And that's the recipe for something like this. Now, I'm going to read what he said oh. to Deidre. Oh, my God. It's so... For the record. Good, good, but in the worst kind of way. <laughs> yeah, it's horrible. Um, and then and then Goose dive into this scene with me after I read this. So these this is these are my notes. Admits to stalking her, knows where she works, and admits to sometimes going there to see if he'll see her. And he says, after a little bit of dialogue, I thought I had ruined my life. I thought I was done. After meeting you and discovering you understood how dangerous Cassie and Andor was, just being in your presence, I realized that life is worth living, which Wow, the zealotry there, insanity. Anyway, 
moving on, he says, I realized that if nothing else, there was justice and beauty in the galaxy. And if I just kept going, perhaps my deranged belief that there was something better fated for me in the future, this is where he grabs her arm very weirdly and aggressively, was a dream worth clinging to. He follows it up by saying, I know what you want. I sense it. I know it. Or I want what you want. That's what it is. I want what you want. I sense it. I know it. My goodness, the mixture of radicalization, idolization, even fetishization of her power and of her standing. She asserts back, and she's right. She could just end this guy. Easy. But he taps into a new type of... a new. This is the, uh, the level up of Cyril the villain. So mm-hmm. talk to me about this. It's creepy. I, I, I was going to say terrifying originally, but then like I was listening to how you were reciting those words and i'm just like that's just that's just just creepy because it's interesting because it happens after we see dedra be validated by an older man right it's the older man that she's been uh seeking that validation and 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 and, and equality right to be like okay you're on the same level as me i'm going to respect you as a peer and i'm gonna give you power and she's achieved that in that relationship. And all of a sudden, like, mirror. The young man who she has no interest in what in anything at all. He's just a source of information for her. And all of a sudden, like, to be put in a situation where now she feels, again, uncomfortable and, and, and stalked. I mean, by this, let's, let's, use the, let's use the word. It's an incel, right? Like, oh, this was a person that was... Mm-hmm. Uh, at the at the low this corporate job that he that he hates with a mother that he also hates and it's like he's had these negative all of these negative relationships and negative results mm-hmm. in his life and all of a sudden he sees yeah. a woman a beautiful woman clad Great. in white in, in a completely different environment than the environment that he has been both in Ferrix and in Coruscant with his mom and in the class he wants to be in and of in course the class and, he wants to it and, and validating the things that he has yes. always thought. Yes, so it's affirmation. He's... It's not just because, yeah, he goes there, the promotion and everything, which ISB, it seems like ISB greased his job a little bit and got him a mm-hmm. little bit of a, a but, promotion as a as a payoff, it seems like. But she but doesn't that's want the interesting thing because he yeah. thinks that she got him a promotion and he's like projecting that. And she's mm-hmm. just like, I, I didn't get you promotion. I just she's like, like we just cleaned your right. Yeah, he takes it right. personally because that's his new thing. Cassie mm-hmm. and Andor, he's a person that latches. He obsesses. You, you know, you use the incel stuff and it's like, it's very accurate. I've used that over in House of the Dragon to describe uh, Sir Kristen Cole. Oh, it's well. like, that's that's more <laughs> literal because that show has sexual instances and sexual themes. But here, he's an incel of inaction. Like, it's not a it's not a romantic or sexual thing that he faced rejection from. He feels rejected mm-hmm. from the life he wanted. And so now this woman suddenly is not just an ally, but is represents a totality of the life he wants. He has sort of been rejected by Cassian Andor and the entire idea of Cyril Karn the hero. Mm-hmm. And now he wants to be Cyril Karn the Deidre clone, essentially. Yeah. Um, he's both, yeah, it's a really fine line between I want to be you. I resent you. I respect you. I'm turned on by you. I, mm. it's, it's a really, really, really modern, but 
and, and, and just gross and creepy, like we've been saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it but it fits in super well. It fits in super well with the empire. Like we know so many things about the empire, and we're finding out so many more things about the empire. But there had to be these people. Like there was there was that comic a few years ago. Um, and this is no shade at the writer, to be honest. I can't even quite remember who wrote it. I don't want to say the wrong name, but there was a comic that came under some controversy where someone is obsessed with Darth Vader. It was part of that uh, canon. It is a canon comic. It was part of like a, a mini series of different Darth Vader short stories. And uh, this this woman in the Empire, an Imperial science person, gets obsessed with Vader, and Vader kills her. And it was kind of looked at as like making fun of of a fangirl archetypes and things and that was marred in controversy i think i think this is what that was going for the i i think this is that done successfully the idea that mm. there has to be a fanboyism or fangirlism or fandomism element to something that is so rah-rah like mm. they play the imperial march in a major key it happens in rebels it happens in solo these are people that they walk around with their briefcases and it makes sense that somebody would say i want to be that and mm-hmm. it makes sense that that somebody is this freak. And it's interesting because it's the fetishizing of the idea itself, which it's like, hey, let's compare with like, uh, you know, our, our real world and people that like make their political belief, their personality. And it feels like these people that cannot, you know, like, mm. their cars are just full of the bumper of the bumper sticker of like the politician or the cause or the party. And they're always wearing the lame t-shirts with the slogan. It's just like, their whole personality is the thing that that that, it, that becomes a, a fetish, a kink almost. And it's supposed to be like an idea. It's just supposed to be something that feels like your morality. But they have that filter does not occur for them because it's not about morality. It's about it's it's about the kink. It's about like how that makes me feel. And that's the thing that gives me purpose. And it's something that's terrifying for him specifically because he's do he's he's being a stalker and he's being toxic about it right he's not finding something that genuinely makes him feel like this is a good thing he's finding something that's just validating something Mm -hmm. that he felt was right to begin with it's confirmation bias and it's really telling then to see how Deidre reacts to it because someone that's in the position of power that she has shouldn't feel threatened by someone like Mm. Cyril but the fact that he's coming on to her with such a creepy stocky behavior is it's telling that then she feels threatened and scared i mean her the performance that denise go and like uh, and 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 oh my god i forgot his name and uh, kyle, have kyle been, solar have, yeah yeah kyle solar have been like i mean everyone let's, let's be let's be honest like everyone's yeah. performance in this show has been incredible but like both like kyle solar and denise go like in that scene they 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 home run because you can see the obsession in his eyes and you can mm-hmm. see the terror in hers because even when she threatens him i can put you in a cage in the outer rim she's still afraid as she's saying it yeah so it, it, yeah. it is telling of the things that women have to also go through in, absolutely in, in our world so it, absolutely it doesn't matter what what spectrum of politics you're in women have to go through that a creepy men that uh, idolize them for the for whatever reason and project their beliefs onto that and create yeah. A totem for them to to cling on to so it's 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 scary like i thought they were going to team up in a willing you know in a, in a willing way so that they're gonna catch cassian together but like the reversal of that power dynamic is it's a really interesting twist that like you know just keeps adding all these layers that this show just keeps providing us and i think it's really really 
I mean, delicious storytelling because it just keeps giving us things we didn't expect, but keep giving depth and meaning to like all of these super complicated relationships. And like, I, I'm super interested to see what's going to happen now between the two of them, since now it's not what we thought was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I love everything you touched on there, the real world implications and, and the allegory there, not, not even allegory, that there's the, the direct representation of the idea of this is a woman of status, this is a woman of power, this is a woman who works at the uh, toward the highest seat in government, the, you know, the ISB, you know, they work under Palpatine, Yularen and everything. She has all this power, but still these dynamics find her unwillingly the, the, the frightening aspect of it. And again, what Gilroy and Toby Haynes and Bo Willimon have been doing so well and all the writers and directors on their show has been the element of, again, we're endeared to her. Even after the Bix thing, suddenly we're back with her and we're like, yes, get, get rid of this guy. Bring him down, Deidre. Bring him down. He's a problem. And the way that they can make you root for a villain um, mm-hmm. because the ideologies and the personalities exist next to each other and cross a lot of the time, but sometimes you realize Maybe it's not that way. And we when we know, we know that it doesn't have to be this way. Mm-hmm. Bodie Rook, Callus, uh, of course, uh, big ones like Aiden and Dell, Han Solo, other, other people that are all Imperial defectors. We know that it doesn't need to be this. Um, but the way that it, it plays out uh, is really compelling. So unless you have anything more to say about the serial and Deidre and ISB side of Coruscant, we're going to move over into Mothma. The only thing that I wanted to kind of wrap up with on uh, terms mm-hmm. of that, and it's something that's going to seg into like the uh, Mon and Vel, is that, yeah. uh, I mean, I'm an architect, so I always have to, I'm always mm. picking up on these things. And for me, one of the really cool things about Coruscant that this show is doing is that it's telling a story through the architecture as well. Because when we looked at Coruscant like in uh, the prequel trilogy, specifically Attack of the Clones, uh, it's a vibrant place. It's a colorful place. It's saturated. Like there's lots of people, like everything feels uh, grandiose in in an uplifting kind of way. Every time we see skyscrapers, we see them among the clouds. So there's a, going to repeat the word, a grandiosity to the opulence in a positive way, because we can obviously say opulence in a negative way, but in a positive way of what Coruscant is and what it means, even when we're in the CD underbelly, when we're uh, going after the bounty hunter, I forget the name, I'm sorry, I'm terrible with the names, as you can tell, uh, but we it's all neon and it's all color and everything, everyone's happy, like in those uh, sports bars, uh, Dex's Diner, you know, it's a cool place, we have a cool uh, uh, cook in, in Dex, but now we do this shift in Coruscant and everything's brutalist architecture. Mm-hmm. Everything's gray. Everything's exposed concrete and class. And like it's it's every, every day it seems like it's overcast. Like we only see skyscrapers from below and it's sinister. And it's we see like three levels of Coruscant, right? We see like the lower level, like mid levels where Cyril and his mom are. We see like the ISB, which is the opposite of everything we've been seeing so far and then mm-hmm. in terms of like it, it being like super modern and white and pristine and high mm-hmm. end and then we see mon's our apartment building and it's closer to that coruscant that we've seen before like in the prequels but it still architecturally feels oppressive it's also desaturated it's and it's a prison like these are all different prisons and the architecture and the design just emphasize that and i think it's just been genius production design 
there uh, in terms of like the the crew that put this like on screen and like kudos on all this um, on the scouting for all these locations because mm. like to just make like all like heightening all these like real world locations and making them Star Wars it's always like such a uh, a delicious thing for me to see as a as an architect but like the storytelling through the set to, to the to the to the uh, setting of, of of the building and the and the set design is is something that I think is helps emphasize the feeling of oppression in all of these different storylines that we've been seeing and it's in one planet which I think it's the really interesting thing that we were telling three distinct stories in one planet mm. plus three distinct visuals that are telling us different things so yeah we'll talk about Mon Mothma's prison which is like the most no, yeah the I biggest love that. opulent one but I and real quick I just I just love that you brought that up man it's such a great and under talked about aspect and you having your real life career your insights into the world of design into the worlds of architecture into the worlds of the way that locations do convey tone into the way that they mm -hmm. convey theme and but you know historically like I encourage anyone uh, to take an art history class at least once in your life, just even for fun, for a lot of the stuff that you're talking about and the way that you can learn about how leaders made decisions like this for these reasons and to see it all play out this way. Ties in with the theme of the prisons, comes back in Rogue One with Turret telling Cassian, I sense you carry your prison with you. Um, and Mothma's prison, while gorgeous, one of the most incredible, I've said it before, giving Padme a run for her money for the best apartment in Star Wars. Uh, Very true. <laughs> in, in the dialogue here, the driver says that your cousin's here. She says, oh, really? She's really surprised that her cousin is. We, we're we sort of, I know I was, I was like, oh, it's going to be Bell. It's going to be Bell. Mm -hmm. It's going to be exciting. But she also notes at the embassy, he says the residence, she says the embassy. And it's like, oh, she lives in the embassy, which... You know, a lot of, you know, foreign uh, dignitaries would, uh, you know, mm. rulers and politicians and kings and queens from overseas. Like, yeah, they do sometimes do that. But it, it just further it further adds, I think, thematically to the element of Mothma being truly out of place here that she doesn't have a Coruscant home. She has a Chandrillan home mm -hmm. on Coruscant. And that has its own problematic stuff, which we're about to get into. So it was right there in front of our faces. Mon Mothma, Perrin Firtha, Vel Sartha. We should have known that that was a Chandrillan name. Mm. Um, a lot of us theorized at first, maybe she was the daughter. Then no, she wasn't. Some people thought she was Luthen's kid. No, she's not. She's Mothma's right. cousin. Some people were confused because Lita calls her Aunt Vel. I don't think any Latin people were confused because I, I think the words aunt and uncle are so loose. And yeah, I know that like, yeah. anyone who's older that is family. Yeah. yeah. Anyone that's older that's family, it's like, hey, what is she going to say? Oh, my second cousin or mom's cousin. No, Aunt Vel. That's easier. Mm -hmm. um, so people, some people were confused by that. Mothma's cousin, for sure. She has the spoiled rich girl life that mm -hmm. we kind of knew Cinta hinted at. And the last mm -hmm. one, Cinta kind of threw that at her. She echoes Cinta here in this scene, talking about mm -hmm. how we get what's left. So Cinta, while not in these events of, of this chapter, hangs over this scene, also hangs over this scene in terms of representation of yep. you know a lesbian relationship, of their sexualities, or a queer relationship. I shouldn't assume uh, that they're lesbians strictly, but of this relationship between mm -hmm. two women, uh, the parents sort of conservative, but also annoyingly centrist, the 
wow don't don't tell me you got all political too mm-hmm. all that stuff that hangs over the scene uh just looking down here it was just like this is a feast you have mothma not necessarily knowing if she has it in her she feels like she's breaking she feels like are we going too far is this too risky vel has belief vel has the backbone even when mothma you know we kind of skipped over it i'll throw it in here now even mothma opposing the the p-o-r-d the Poured, which I wrote down for my own uh, remembrance, public (laughs) order resentencing. It is. It honestly, the Porg Act, the Porg Protection Act. Yeah. Public order resentencing directive. Even as she's giving that speech, you can tell it's half hearted. Not because she doesn't believe, but because she can see everyone checking out, people booing, being beaten down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The lights are going off in the other pods. She gets home. I think this Vel stuff was a, a good reminder for her. I think it was. And she tells Vel to relax, be a spoiled rich girl for a while, enjoy life. Don't don't just be what Luthen and Saw are, where this is their life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was cool to see somebody back Mothma up for once, because even Lita does the dad lets me wear whatever I want or lets me do whatever I want, whatever that was. Um, this was, I think, we see Mothma smile. You know, when Lita says or when uh, Vel says that she's not looking for a genuine smile, not like her politician smile, like exactly get something from you. It's just like I'm actually happy. She got to be a person. I can I can I can let my guard down, which which. Yeah, like it's like Lita. I am very concerned with because something's going to happen there. They're setting it up. They're setting it up. There's going to be some type of conflict there. And like all those like she's very surgical. Right. And how she attacks her mom. Which I get, you know, we were all teenagers, you know, we, we, we've all, you learn how to push the buttons of your parents, you, you know, you know, exact, exactly, yeah. you know, what's going to hurt your parents. And, mm-hmm. and she knew exactly what to say to, to the mom there to like, uh, really like get to, can you imagine that? Like you had a long day at work, you were just giving a speech, you got heckled, <laughs> then you get home and you're, and then the first thing you're trying to be nice to your kid, you're, and you're like, hey, that's a nice dress on you to try it out, oh, whatever. And then she just gives a, a clap back. That's, demoralizing yeah uh, so like I, yep. I my sympathies to that's it. how you know that uh the chandrillans at least the chandrillans we've seen are white people because that would not fly <laughs> no <laughs> that would not be, fly there would have been a flip-flop flying somewhere or a belt and <laughs> it would have it, it, it would have yeah. happened no uh, but yeah i mean it shows like chandrillans what she's inherited from perrin who again like we we got hints of it with tay you know, she throws out the mom's old boyfriend like that's being more confirmed now. But yeah. which I mean, if you if you saw a scene with them, you knew like God, the tension is there. But but she also uh, doesn't say it like, you know, oh, I'm gossiping with my mom about your old boyfriend. It was like, no, like, no, it's a shot. Something's up. Something's it's a shot. Up. And it's a shot because she's listening to her father. And and what mm-hmm. Perrin represents is that Chandrilla as a society, the Chandrillans don't they don't want individuals. They want you to fall in line. They have beauty. They have splendor they have luxury but they want you to follow x rules did you find a husband yet are you doing this oh why are you getting so political we're just doing this we do visits home we do vel says the words i think it's the pilgrimage i believe she says Mm -hmm. like going back home for the pilgrimage like there's something like that that's thrown around we don't know what it is but it's this idea that this is the most traditional of traditional of traditional societies Vel's the only one that seems to have broken out, and it 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 gave Mothma some some light again. It it was a recommitting to the 
to the fight and and vel has that where she explains like i've chosen a side you know in, mm-hmm. in the fight against darkness against evil against fascism mothma needed she needed to laugh she needed to be reinvigorated but she also mm-hmm. we also the viewers needed to see this further disrespect and the and the way that perrin is continuing this don't tell me you've gotten all political bullcrap essentially mm-hmm, mm-hmm. especially like the, the the this it's the backhanded uh disrespect to to mon mothma because it's mm-hmm. just like well don't tell me guy when you're sitting as a senator's husband and it's like this is the whole opulent life you have is because your very successful wife is into politics so the fact that you're disrespecting literally the career that you have built this life around it's it's it just confirms that he's 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 yeah. the absolute objectively the worst person and that his soul that his soul's been destroyed because there's that one line in the last one where they say he was their the school firebrand like he was you get the idea that maybe at one point Perrin had something that maybe maybe she was with tay and did choose Perrin because we know it was arranged but maybe she was like you know i can make the best of this Maybe he's they're both good guys. Maybe like there's so much backstory there. And I would I would love a Bridgerton-esque Chandrilla show of a young Mothma and Perrin and, and, and Tay and all these characters in Vel. Mm-hmm. That'd be great. Mm-hmm. Um, what actually went down back then? That that sounds like a great Claudia Gray novel or something mm-hmm. like that. 100 <laughs> percent But this idea that you get to the point where you're just a shell. And I think Mothma at the end of those work days, like you said. I'm working nine to five. It takes me 40 minutes to get home. I got booed. People are disrespecting me. And I think that this was the, hey, like, you're still alive. I think Vel is there to say, you're still you. You know, be a little bit more like me. Which which is like the interesting dichotomy of Mon Mothma and Luthen. And we can't talk too much about Luthen. Especially with where the angle I was going to go with. But it's the... Dark, dark and light, basically. And mm-hmm. it's like, who who are you fighting for? And like, where do you stand in that fight? And I think that's the interesting thing about Mon Mothma is that she, and we see it in how she's framed, right? She's framed like in her apartment with light. Everything's very bright. And then every time we see Luthen, he's in the back of his shop. Everything's very dark. Everything's mm-hmm. uh, ominous. And he has no loved ones, basically. And, and Mon Mothma has, I mean... You know, parents, a piece, you know, he's a POS and, and Lita, she's, you know, she's a very angsty teenager, but there's, but she still has a family and like Vel reinvigorates that. And it's, it's, it's very, it's very telling to see like how you can be fighting for the same cause, but be approaching it from completely different angles. And I think that's the most important part to see about Mon, because that's why we can see that she becomes the leader that she becomes because she is for people and not just mm-hmm. for a cause, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, she but thinks very, way it's more. It's a very demoralizing scene at the end of it because when Bell leaves, we just get the oh, yeah. camera. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Bell leaves the static camera. The soul that was just reignited then takes an immediate blow. Then there's this further element of Take Holma saying, hey, there's 400,000 credits that 
mm-hmm. we keep trying to move around, but it's it's going to be noticeable that this is this transaction is taking place. They're going to start looking at the books. We have to get involved. This character Dabo Scalden uh, is referenced here, being set up that this is a, a, a he's not a a, a legitimate banker, as Mothma says, a loan, a loan shark, basically. Yeah, he's basically a loan shark. He's a scumbag. He's a scoundrel of a different kind. A canto. He probably hangs out a canto bite. Probably that type of energy. Um, and it, it says <laughs> yeah. again, like that's 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 the plight of Mothma is having to. You know, Luthen is comfortable with pieces of his soul being chipped away. Mm-hmm. Mothma has not gotten to that place yet. And Saw is somewhere else on that spectrum. And each of them thinks the other is too trusting or trusting in the wrong ways or could afford to be more trusting. And this trinity that is formed between them as sort of the rebel leaders of this time, um, I would like to say this this quadrant, I would love Emphis Nest's point of view on some of this at some mm-hmm. point as a, her own leader, probably on the most guerrilla level of them all, literally pirating and stuff but this idea that mothma like you touched on there is about people whereas you could say saw is more about the cause and and you know luthan stuff as well we'll explore uh, as we get more of his story in later episodes but yeah it's it's a really painful to see her have to swallow the pill of i i now have to start making choices that are morally uh unsavory mm-hmm. but do you think actually i want to know your opinion on this do you think that take calma is genuinely proposing this because he thinks it's the only i mean i wouldn't say the right thing but i would say like the only avenue to be able to do yeah the right thing or do you think that there's something nefarious to what he's trying to propose it's interesting because he makes it sound at first like mon i've gone through all the options like i've already thought of this she even says you already have a name in mind um as he's doing this slow pitch but then he also does say i can look around some more if you want. So I think that I don't know if Tay is a nefarious character with his own machinations, but I do think that he is being illustrated as maybe not having enough of a spine. Like, I think I don't maybe he's not bad right now, but when push comes to shove, he could be a problem. Like he seems like somebody that is maybe too weak for the fight that he is now in. And he doesn't know everything, as we know. He doesn't truly know what the foundation is, this mm-hmm. charity, but it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. So again, uh, all these other things here that I had, just again, to emphasize, um, yes, there, we haven't had, I think what people are really waiting for is that Vel Sinta, the scene is romantic. We did get an on-screen, you love me, like the admissions of love. That was a mm-hmm. big step, still steps along the way in this representation, but I, I think that it was... I loved seeing people, especially in the queer community, the queer fan community, enjoying Mothma being a supportive cousin, mm-hmm. enjoying the undertones of this heteronormative guy from this society uh, and the the digs there. Andor doesn't get to be funny a lot, but mm-hmm. but they played that really well of, no, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, I think all the good ones are taken anyway, and how that's a shot. And but also and just is, the camera just switches to like Ma just looking at her like, girl, I got you. I, I, I yeah, so. girl, Mothma probably knows about all her girlfriends and yeah. stuff. Mothma, yeah, you again, there's there's so much storytelling behind the storytelling. And we could talk about the Coruscant storylines all day and we will continue to talk about them. But it's time to go back 
to the prison, baby. It's time to go back to THX 1138 by way nobody's of- Nobody's Nar- listening. Nar- Narkina 5, nobody's listening. Diego doing some of his greatest work as an actor. Mm-hmm. Andy Circus doing some of his greatest work as an actor. All these yeah. supporting players. The Doctor- who is at the end is played by Adrian Rollins, who people will remember as James Potter uh, from uh, that wizard franchise. Uh, and, and, you know, he looks a little bit different as the years have gone by, but yeah, that's Adrian really? Rollins. So tons of great wow. character actors here. Uh, Christopher Fairbanks is the old man who unfortunately passes away. Olaf, you know who he is? He is in the Michael Keaton Batman. He's the guy that Keaton holds and says, I'm Batman. That's that's who that old man is. He's that thug. So so many character actors here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So much going on. Uh, I think that I will start by saying Kino Loy. His story is not over. This is you know this is the third the second part of this three part arc um, because they you know for those listening Gilroy has already said that it's a three parter and that the show is going to go out on a two parter. Um, and so mm-hmm. Kino has already though become one of my favorite characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, incredible. I was. I was saying a couple months ago in some chat that I think there are a lot of CG and voice performers in Star Wars that I would love to see get another role. Andy was mm. one of those, um, amongst other people, like Tia Sarkar should absolutely what a show up. Pleasant surprise. Yeah, and a p- pleasant surprise in the last one. And in this one, I mean, Kino, he's resistant to disruption and to any shaking of the routine and he rocking on the boat because they've made him fear that he's holding on to the drill because much like in the ferric storyline they're turning this is stanford prison experiment they're turning you know mm-hmm. certain members on the populace kino's a prisoner but he's still in charge of a floor so he has the added pressure and if he doesn't cling to this it's his life and death this mm-hmm. is survival this is holding on to your sanity and like we said Perhaps they probably should have put a content warning on the last one with the suicide scene. There's a scene of, I I don't know what else to call it, but euthanasia here at the end of this one. I don't know what else to call it. That's what it is. Um, is. Yeah, textbook. Yeah, yeah, textbook, especially considering, I mean, Obi-Wan Kenobi got an Order 66 content warning, and I I would argue this probably needs it more. Um, I understand the timing of that too, of course, by the way, the Obi-Wan stuff uh, in relation to very American problems. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Kino, fascinating he's broken and this this he has a bigger arc that's happening but the the journey in this episode is oh, he's broken superb what's yeah. the breakthrough gonna be like tell me about how you feel about kino how you feel about cassie and how you feel about the building of the mystery of level two what happened what is what the anxiety throughout these scenes my man well i have to yeah i have to backtrack to episode eight and say what a what a what a marvelous surprise it was all of a sudden we're i mean obviously it's a tense scene and it's terrifying you're in Arkina five and you're lowering the elevators like oh my god he's in a labor camp but but also like that terror is undercut when we like see this character turn around and it's andy circus's beautiful mug and he's like oh there he is what 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 what, what a beautiful man what a talented man uh, but it's really 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 cool though to see the two characterizations that he's had, because when we see him in episode eight in Arkina five, he's, you know, he's, 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 you know, he's the eighties yeah, cop captain, right? He's the gruff, like no nonsense guy. He's like yelling at everybody, but we do see like a different side to him. There's a lot more complexity and nuance to his mm-hmm. character. And obviously 
not necessarily like towards the end when what we'll discuss happens, but like towards the beginning when we see him kind of have like these debates with these, these back and forths with a Cassian about like, oh, how many guards are there? And he's just like, stop asking these questions. Stop trying to figure it out. But we also see the the human side of him who's like trying to motivate the teams and being like, oh, what's happening here? Like, oh, that's a good idea switching Cassian over so um, mm -hmm. you can help help out. So you do see that despite him being like out for himself and getting out of prison, he does also care. And he does like that have empathy for his fellow uh, prisoners. It's just that it's in a misplaced uh, in a misplaced way because he's just thinking like, well, if you work hard, if you, you know, go to school and pay your taxes, you're going to be a millionaire too. Like he's just like preaching the American dream, so to speak. And it's just anchored by such a powerful performance from Andy Serkis because like you can just see everything that's happening through his mind, through his face. Like his, Andy's facial expressions in this episode were just like a masterclass of acting. And he doesn't get a nom for best guest uh, uh actor like in a series and the and the emmys or something like that uh, there's i there should be riots in the street because i mean i think every actor like i mentioned before mm -hmm. every actor in this series deserves an emmy nod but like holy crap like is andy circus amazing especially like in the end i don't want to talk about that yet because we haven't gotten to the end but like that mm -hmm. end scene where oh. you know yeah we see, we see the we see this final transformation it's it's amazing i don't I haven't talked about cassian but I just need to send all the laurels and all the praises to Andy Circus because, mm -hmm. and, and by the way, anyone who's wondering, is he Snoke? He's not Snoke. Your Snoke theory sucks. <laughs> stop. Just stop. We're past and, it. And we're, we're done. Past, yeah. Just like, let the past die. No Kill Snoke. Kill no. Already, already. Acolyte. People, oh, Plagueis. No. Leave it alone. Under that, under that logic, then Luke Skywalker is Darth Bane because Mark Hamill played yeah. uh, the, the voice actor. So no, stop. Yeah, yeah, all Warwick Davis characters are the same. They're actually all Willow. They're all Willow. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it, it, everything you're saying is 100% right about this journey, uh, this transformation that we see as it builds, the way that he feels he has to fill that role out of fear. I, if I don't keep them in line then we're all going to pay. Some are going to pay more because of this ranking system of productivity. George Lucas would love this episode. The comment on the corporate culture, on the mechanization, on quotas, on data over people, the way that they're, oh, they're down a man. Oh, well, we're going to get a replacement coming down the elevator tomorrow. Um, but, but what I love here is that Luthen saw the potential for leadership in Cassian. And Cassian has run from that all season. Cassian is, without even realizing it, beginning that journey. Mm -hmm, a, mm -hmm. he's already built up. There's some other prisoners that are more minor characters that he's already developing sort of a silent language with. He's using his bathroom breaks to set something up. He's talking already about a breakout plan even before Kino's in on it, before the level two conspiracy, uh, not conspiracy, the level two rumors start to go around. Cassian's already making moves. But on top of that, we know Cassian doesn't just go on to be 
and this is not to disparage the, these types of characters, but he doesn't just go on to be like a, a squadron leader. He doesn't just go on to be a combat general or something like that, or just a really good, you know, hired gun or, or, or a gunslinger for the rebellion. He goes on to be an intelligence leader. He goes on to be a fulcrum. He goes on to be Captain Cassian Andor that has all these guys, including Melshi, uh, at his back. And it was great to see him and, and his role has been great as a supporting player. You get a lot of great personality moments with Melshi showing how much Melshi cares how passionate Melshi is that I mean Kino even punches him in the gut at one point to get him to calm down. <laughs> but the other thing that Cassian does is that that next tier of leadership starts to come out in him too, because Luthan saw it in him and he sees it in Kino. He knows that this guy that this guy clearly already has the respect and can inspire. People will listen to him. He's trying desperately to break through to Kino in the same way that people like Luthen and Nemec and Vel broke through to him. So it's it's cycles of trauma and pain, but it's also cycles of inspiration. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got to be the one that wakes you up. And Melshi's absorbing things. He's got the top bunk above Kino. So the three of them mm-hmm. all sleep near each other in that hallway. But to see Cassian really care, you can see the leader forming, even in small ways, like the compassion that he has for Olaf as an elderly person. Like you know that that's something that's important to him because his mom is older. And and he's 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 carried that uh that that family man aspect like you look after your elders and everything um is still with him. So I think they do so much with so many mm-hmm. particular details. But and it's interesting to see though how Diego Diego Luna is characterizing that growth in Cassian because every episode up until now like we've seen like a desperate Cassian. Even when he was in Nia- in Yamos and like he's supposed to be relaxing as a tourist, he's still stressed out when he like he's hiding the money above the shower. Like it, there's there's anxiety and there's dread like in that performance. And kudos to Diego for like really like projecting that he's been doing a phenomenal job with the role. But somehow like in this episode, I mean I know there's like a lot of stressful moments in the episode, but to an extent when we see Cassian, there's a certain amount of calm. Like there's a, there's, I I didn't see that desperation anymore. It's just like, okay, like I know what I need. There's clarity, there's purpose, uh, there's some serenity. I mean, that's how like I read his character in this episode. It's just like, yeah, there's, there's a, there's a restlessness in terms of like how he approaches Kino because obviously when you want justice, you want justice now. And that, that impetus is in, in Cassian's character the whole time. But we see like that leadership in him and it's a and it's a subtle leadership it's not like he's like i'm telling everyone what to do it's like no i'm going to you know give people the tools that they'll need in subtle ways so that like we can succeed as a team oh well let, let's switch let's switch over to here but i'll give you the credit to do this like oh i'm gonna you know help you like uh, solder this and whatnot but through all of this like there's almost like a like a happiness in in in, in the undertones of like cassian's Diego's performance as Cassian because it feels like he's kind of to an extent found himself. It's like I am I'm that leader. Like I I like I said before, like I have clarity of purpose. Uh, so, yes, I was about to say so, that. It it feels like a lightness that comes with a realization. It mm-hmm. feels like a it feels like that purpose that we knew that he had, the mm-hmm. stuff that he's accumulated from Luthen, from Marva, from Bix, a leader of her community, which this episode reminds you, 
it's starting to come through in him. You, it's, you, you realize that you could take the boy out of Ferrix, but you can't take the Ferrix out of the boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and even more than that, uh, going all the way back to Canari, how those kids were all about community and about communication, silent communication, mm-hmm. uh, tactics, survival. It's always been there. And the way that this show has changed the line in this fight since six years old, that does not, it's not the fight now that we thought it was. It's the, it's the entire fight of life, the entire fight mm-hmm. of survival. And the way that he exemplifies sort of those ideals is so Star Wars. It's so pure because Star Wars is as much about the people that do it, your mm-hmm. mythic heroes, your magical heroes, your swordsmen and women, your 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 Jedi, yep. your... But it's also these people. It's also the people that just make the next right choice, like your Cassian Andors, like your Han Solos or whatever, and then and, and new characters here like Kino. Kino needs someone like Cassian to come around and remind him that he's a person. He 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 has the right to be a person. And seeing the way that this community uh, embraces them and respects them both, mm-hmm. especially again through Melshi as a silent character, almost silent. He mm-hmm. only speaks a couple times, but he's so observant and inquisitive and discerning. All of that is great. And all of these characters, knowing the lay of the land, plays perfectly into when the sort of conspiracy political thriller drama element really kicks in, mm-hmm. something's wrong. And it it does the horror element so well. Similar to the torture of Bix, we're going to create horror thriller scenarios by not showing you anything, just by letting mm-hmm. actors act. The hidden sign language, something's going on, something happened on level two, we don't know what it is, and Kino already is rattled enough to believe that something happened, but he's trying, he's yep. trying to block it out. It's just a rumor, it's just a rumor, he doesn't want to hear it. It takes a few instances for him to break through until the end. Before we get to what it actually was, how did all of the hubbub and anxiety and tension building play for you when you didn't know what was going mm-hmm. on? I mean, it was, again, like, I I, I, I feel like I'm a, a broken record saying masterclass, but again, it's a masterclass like in in, in, in screen in screen uh, play writing or teleplay, I guess, because it's TV. Uh, but because it, it's, and again, it goes, I think, to Andy Serkis's performance. Like you see in his face that like he knows, he knows in the in the deepest, darkest places of his heart that what's happening, everyone's right. Something did happen, and it's something nefarious, and it's something that the Empire and the prison system that he's been trying to benefit from so that he can be released from it is responsible for. So like that whole transition of like discovery for him and like because you can tell, like in the back of his mind, every after like the power went out and then he came back in, and they went into like the the dormitories or, or the barracks, I guess. Eh, well, not barracks, that's for military people, or the the jail jailhouse, whatever. He in the back of his mind, he's doubting himself. Like, he's trying to project uh, security and 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 and, yeah. and and certainty that like no, there's nothing to worry about. This is just you know whatever power thing happened. No, in the back of his mind, it's like no, there's something wrong here there's something amiss and and he just doesn't want to accept it and i think that's something that's also very relatable because i think it happens to us in our daily lives as well either Mm -hmm. with family or at work or with friends or whatnot when something's amiss and something's going wrong but you don't want to accept that it's happening 
because like you're connected to that and you use mm-hmm. it's denial, you know, and, and he's going through all the stages of that basically. And I think that's why it's such a cathartic moment at the end when finally it just clicks and it's just like, well, I have to accept it and now I have to overcome yes. it. Uh, yes. But it's so, it's so, it's so, it's so, so well done, especially because it's not like, you know, a continuous narrative of the whole Narkino five thing it's mm-hmm. intercut with everything that's happening in Coruscant and and Ferrix that it makes it even more uh, powerful as it you know keeps again pressure cooker building yeah. up building up building up and it doesn't explode in like a, in an action set there's no prison break that type of thing doesn't happen it's just quiet realization yeah that's the explosion and I think it's that makes the scene like even more powerful because you you're expecting like this whole dramatic uh, unfolding of the whole circumstance of discovering the plot or the conspiracy, whatever you want to call it. But, but no, it's not like sometimes the loudest explosions are the, are the quiet ones, you know, are the ones mm-hmm. of like self-realization and that's what is happening to the Kino. And I think again, to hammer the point home and it's just Andy Serkis's performance just sells it. The writing is wonderful, but the performance is just what takes it over the moon. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 absolutely next level work. It's stunning small moments, like you said, about these explosions that are quiet and soft. Because it's a breakthrough. You're watching an emotional breakthrough happen in real time. I had written down a line from earlier in the episode where he says, "Turn that part of your mind off." Mm-hmm. He says that to Cassian because Cassian gives the episode its title. He yells, "Nobody's listening." Well, it builds. He repeats it and repeats it until he just screams to prove this point. And because he believes that he's asking these questions about the guards mm-hmm. and Kino saying, "Turn your mind off." And it's a projection. You can tell that maybe he also at at one time, he maybe he believed maybe when he was younger there, because he's been there for a couple of years, he's got not a whole year, like 200 and something shifts left. But what it does with Cassian and Kino in relation to Olaf, Olaf's death is what reveals what happens. What I I like about Olaf there in general, being so close to the end of his term, he's only had like 40 shifts left. Mm -hmm. This old man was going to be free that Star Wars has those moments where you realize, oh, I could be that. Ray has Mm -hmm. that moment in Force Awakens when she's cleaning scavenged parts and there's an old lady doing the same thing. And it's Mm -hmm. like, is that going to be me? And Star Wars is saying sometimes the younger generation pays for the mistakes of the older, but also we have to look out for each other, younger and older. We have to consider right. each other's experiences. And they saw themselves there in Ulof. I love that Cassian and Kino, they made this choice in the script to to have the doctor say his name. They were, they were saying his name is Ulof. His name is Ulof. And the doctor says, I don't want to know his name. Not just that, have, having the doctor be a prisoner as well. I yes. think was also an extremely smart choice because it's like you know, he's also desensitized. Like I'm not here to be an ally to the people that I should be allied with. I'm like in this, which is like in a way, it's a mirror to Kino because like he's being what Kino was in the last episode. Mm-hmm. It's like you have to meet your quotas. You have to, you know, do what we need to do so that we're the best pot, so that we can mm-hmm. you know beat the other ones, so that we don't get our feet electrocuted. Yeah, uh, he's not he's uh, not there to create a solution. He's there to make an assessment: is this someone I can save or someone I'm putting down, like mm-hmm. an animal? There is no oh, it's going to be bad. Let's bring him to the infirmary. Let's bring him to the hospital. No, it's can I fix him? No, I can't. Boom, it's over. And, and it's, it's the dark, and it's the dark payoff to what uh, Cassian was saying when they were talking about him before he yells, nobody's listening. 
when he says that like we're cheaper than droids and easier to easier to replace and it's just like and that's the dark payoff of him saying that it's like yep here we go we yep. gotta just replace him and easy is just a shot and good night and it's like and... thank the, the with all the resources of the empire and all the technology they would be able to treat his stroke or at least find a way to help him but at the end of the day it's like no it does doesn't matter because we don't care. Look, I watched a green baby heal a man's wound with his mind. Don't tell me it's not possible. Uh, I feel I feel like I'm that American psycho meme now. Don't tell it's not possible. Why not, you stupid bastard? bastard. Yeah, it, it, it's why couldn't you save Ulaf? Yeah, it's 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 devastating, and the way that it reveals what happened on two. Now, here's the interesting thing. There's a little bit of fan debate here. I know I have my take. I'll explain sort of what the confusion is, and then we can talk about it. I, I think that what happened on two, which, as you know, you're listening to this podcast, you watch the episode. We've been spoiling the entire thing. Uh, what happened on two is that they tried to take someone whose sentence was over on four and transfer them to two. People on two noticed what happened, talked about it, and they were all killed to silence it. And it was the rumor that was going around the prison was a mistake happened. Now, mm. I saw some people not criticizing the episode, but questioning the idea of how is this the first time that a group of hundreds of guys ever noticed something like that? But that's the thing. I think this is the first time they tried it. Mm -hmm. That's what that's the way I interpreted this. I think because of the P.O.R.D., not the yes. poor gag, the poor <laughs> act. <laughs> different. I, I think that this is another direct effect of Aldani and the mm -hmm. Port Act. I think that this was this resentencing stuff that that took Cassian from a six month sentence to a six year sentence. Six year. Yep. I think that what happened on two was an experiment and it went awry and the people didn't notice. And I think it ties in beautifully with the idea of nobody's listening. They they mm -hmm. thought they'll never notice if we shuffle one of them back into the crowd. Right. And they did. So I think mm -hmm. that this is the first and hopefully only time that mm -hmm. this is tried. And I think it's a it's a great lesson there. And the fact that, again, Cassian's still having to deal with Aldani. Aldani inspired his mother to become a rebel. Aldani changed the laws. Aldani's affecting the prisoners. How did you feel about this reveal as we start to wind down here and about the, the transformation of Kino into a rebel in this moment? It was so cathartic. And it was interesting because when I saw the episode for the first time, I misremembered how the episode started because I knew that Cassian repeated the last line from the episode uh, a couple of scenes back. And it's when, like, after the, the horrible euthanasia, uh, and we see them, like, walking down and program on or whatever the term was. And Cassian just right out the bat doesn't, doesn't skip a beat. It's like, you know, how many guards on each level? Oh, no more than 12, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but in my mind, I was remembering, oh, that's how the episode started. It starts like them in the prison, and then Cassian just asks him, oh, uh, you know, how many guards on each level? And like, it's the it's the, the uh, St. Peter thing with Jesus Christ, right? Oh, I'm going to deny you three times. And, you know, it's kind of that same thing where, like, uh, Kino has been denying, trying to answer that question. At the end, it's just like the epiphany. It's just like, mm -hmm. wait, it, why, why am I fighting against the current? I'm just going to drown. Uh, so like I, I thought I thought it was marvelous and again broken record Andy's performance because you see you see like the, especially with how it's framed with the lighting mm -hmm. and they're going and they're going through the corridor and then when 
when Cassian asks, like his face is in shadow oh, all of a sudden. There's a and fire then, now. And then and then you can see him thinking about it. And then you can see the decision point. And it's like when he's like going mm-hmm. back into the light, it's like, oh, no more than 12. And then he just walks off camera. It is so good. It is perfectly played. It, it, like you said, the lighting, the actual blocking of the scene as they're coming Mm -hmm. toward us and they're leaving behind the realization. And 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 you see in the background them taking the body away. They're taking the body away. Like, yeah, it's being covered up over there. We're walking away from the cover up. We're walking away from that doctor that's a part of that system that has that guard that killed one of ours. Like, we're, we're coming toward now the rest of the story toward the viewer and everything, but that transformation in his eyes, it's like, and it wasn't, it wasn't, the answer wasn't something, you know, it still would have been a good moment if he said like, I'll help you count the guards or, you know, let's find out or something. It's that he knew. It's that he said never more than 12. He knew the information. His battle throughout the episode is, am I going to give the information? Mm -hmm. Am I going to be a part of something? Which is the story of every rebel in Star Wars. You have what it takes you have what you need that's a big thing in the sequel trilogy we have everything we need you have everything Mm -hmm. you need you look at people like going all the way back to the original star wars han solo you had the ship you had the friends you had the skill we just needed you to make a choice you Mm -hmm. always have what you need luke you had the power to lift the x-wing you just had to believe kino you had the information you just had to believe that it was okay to say it Mm-hmm. And and that's what makes this so brutal and so relentless, but also still so Star Wars at the end. Because yeah. this is the first episode of Andor. I think episode three does this when Luthen and Cassian escape. But that also, you're sort of also wanting to cry because of the Marva stuff. I think this one, and you could see it sort of in the fan reaction, this was the one that had the most F yeah ending of an Andor episode where it was yeah. like, it's it's rebel time like it's go time yeah it's definitely i've seen some people say that maybe this episode was kind of a step down in terms of like the 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 pacing i guess Uh, Mm. but like for me like this has been i think each kind of episode just builds on top of the previous one so uh, 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 masterfully that like it's just feels right and like this has been one of my favorite episodes because of that it's because like if all the things that have been simmering that have been stewing in the background and all of a sudden like it's just that catharsis and again like we could have had like a quite a loud moment of like oh i'm gonna kill the doctor and like let's start the rebellion now and cut to black but like the fact that it's just like this quiet moment of just like you know basically you know mm-hmm. one i mean we see both of their faces but it's basically just andy circus and you see that conflict within and then the catharsis and then the, yeah. the, the moment of decision and then it, it's so satisfying to see that subtle, uh, that those subtle moments that I think sometimes mm-hmm. speak even louder than if we had done a loud moment, uh, this, so to speak. This is a show. I've mentioned it a bunch of times, even in this conversation. This is a show about choosing which of your instincts you're going to act on. We all have, it, as Star Wars illustrates, through all of its heroes and all of its villains, pretty much every single person that's not named Sheev Palpatine in Star Wars has a little bit of humanity somewhere in them, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, or a lot of humanity in them. And they're always, are you struggling with light? Are you struggling with dark? Are you struggling with the pull? We've seen what characters like Deidre will choose. We've seen what characters like Bix will choose. We've seen how Cassian's getting toward his choice and to end it on a character, to start it on Deidre showing the worst 
of what it could be mm-hmm. when you break through and ending it on Kino showing the best of what you can be when you break through, mm-hmm. I think is a brilliant way to uh, bookend this I, thematically. It's just on point. The show's gorgeous. Uh, I mean, you were talking about locations and prisons here being in the actual prison, it feeling as, as, ethically and morally dirty as it is visually clean is mm-hmm. is a, a, a brilliant contrast so do you have anything else to say about this prison arc or about anything in the episode before we start to call it uh, I, I you know like i'm loving this show i think it's been hitting on so many of the things that i've been wanting star wars to say well i, I take that back star wars has always been saying the things that i wanted to say but in a in a roundabout ways or subtext you know, mm-hmm. it always talks about like these topics, but the fact that this show is so in your face and blatant and overt and the fact that like Tony Gilroy and the rest of the writing team have been so uh, purposeful, right? And w- telling the story that they want to tell and saying the things that they want to say and being so explicit with the not just the storytelling, but also the commentary that they're doing on so many different levels that it's just been a uh, uh, a joyous joyous ride and you know i'm loving every 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 minute of it and it's just like every episode it's like you just ex- you just want to keep you know digging and like trying to get more out of this well because it just keeps giving us so much and it's just a shame that we only have so much time to talk about it because there's even more that we could you know keep digging because there's just like 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 shrek said it's like an onion it's got layers and we yeah. only peeled that we peeled only a couple of those layers. Yeah, and and to, to quote one of my favorite TV characters of all time, uh, Giles from Buffy, the subtext mm-hmm. is rapidly becoming text. Uh, mm-hmm. This this idea that, like you said, Star Wars has always been saying things to me. There there's nothing in Andor that is wow. Star Wars has never had that theme. It's mm-hmm. all it is the themes of Star Wars. It's it's oh we've never had that lens. Some the, the mm-hmm. comparison I've been using is Black Panther. I've seen Hamlet. I've seen the battles of the throne. I've seen the prodigal son story. I've seen the battles. I've seen the Lion King. I've seen the the superhero origin. I've seen a lot of stuff. The death of the mentor slash dad. I've seen a lot of stuff that Black Panther does, but we had never seen it done through those eyes with those identities. And that's what Andor's Mm -hmm. done here. It's, It's making the whole of the saga better both Skywalker Saga and overall Mm -hmm. canon. Uh, It's contributing so much beauty, so much ruthlessness. It's wrathful, it's angry, but it's not without hope. It's moments like Marva feeling inspired. It's moments like Bix showing how resilient she is. It's moments like Mothma and Vel bonding. And it's moments like B2 Emo being adorable and Kino Loy mm-hmm. saying, I, I choose to be a person again and not mm-hmm. a prisoner. Yes. Um, it's a perfect story for the times. And I think that's a perfect way to to wrap this one. That was so and, packed, and, and, man. And very and very timely, right? Because we got yeah. this whole thing called the uh, the the midterm election. So it's kind of like, oh, <laughs> yeah. what a what a coincidence. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's almost actually, like uh, is it, is it yeah. a coincidence? Like the show starts on Hispanic Heritage when Hispanic Heritage Month starts, and now it's going to be going through the political turmoil of the mm. midterm elections. Mm. conspiracy i don't know that's a that's a theory i can actually buy into willingly and happily this, star wars has always been on a side and it just now is taking that side more and more and this the show is telling you hey this is what we're about and then if you don't get it well maybe next year the show starring a black non-binary person and run by a queer woman <laughs> and a black woman will right. uh help help emphasize that for you uh the times are changing they should change 
and I'm glad we have stories like Andor and sh- and here's a segue and shows like Triad of the Force. Uh, stop that it, stop. Also, no, it's what you do. It's what you do. <laughs> bringing voices to the table, uh, forming friendships. So, Goose, why don't you? Now that we're wrapping up, tell everybody where they can find you, what you've been up to, what's coming up, and uh, yeah, where they can find you on socials. Thank you, thank you so much. So, I mean, we've been here before. So, you know, Triad of the Force is a podcast from three Puerto Rican friends coming together to do similar things to what you're doing, right? Deep dives into Star Wars. And uh, sometimes we take uh, some some dives into other pools and might talk about Lord of the Rings, House of the Dragon, Marvel, et cetera, et cetera. Although like our main focus is, is and always will be the, the War of the Stars. Uh, but you can find us anywhere where podcasts can be found on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google Podcasts, all of those. Just search Try It Out the Force and you will find us. Uh, if you want to follow us on the socials, we are on most of them, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, although we're most active on Twitter. Uh, sometimes I say clever things. Some, most of the time I don't, but follow us for just so you can get your diversity quota. Sometimes uh, sometimes he tweets about emo stuff. You get a nice mix. Yeah. You get yeah. a nice mix. So it's I, ne- I it's never in doubt. Never in doubt where Goose is mentally. Just look at his social media. It'll tell yeah. you. If he's in a, if he's in a sad boy mood or if he's in a righteous mood or both, especially Instagram. Uh, follow us on Instagram. You'll absolutely know what's happening. You'll know if I've been out. If I have what, what music you're listening to. Well, all that jazz. Yeah, you'll 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 get it. You'll get it. We're very transparent in like how we're feeling about things. So join us. Join us. It's a it's a journey. We're all about the journey. Absolutely. I could not agree more. It is all about the journey. It's all about the friends we made along the way. To That is true. That is true. To le- lean into a nice meme. It's a meme for a reason. The biggest growth for Triad has been the friends. Uh, definitely. Oh, Since celebration. My, yeah. There's been an, an explosion of friendships. Uh, yours, yours included. Uh, so it's been it's been a very beautiful year in that sense, like seeing like all the connections we've made and like all the good people that we've surrounded ourselves by. So. Yeah, be part of the group. Join us. Absolutely, I I could not advocate in a more passionate and enthused and just and just brotherly way for what you're doing. Uh, I love you guys. You're doing incredible work over there. So follow Try to the Force. All those links are down below. You can follow me personally at that Alden Diaz on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all those social media platforms. T H A T A L D E N D I A Z. Follow Octo Radio, a Star Wars podcast everywhere. A H C H T O Radio. All of your podcast platforms. If you're on Apple, leave stars leave reviews if you're on spotify leave stars leave reviews because you can do that there now as well wherever you get your podcast so we do appreciate you listening uh some of the bigger interviews and sort of junk and stuff also end up on the youtube channel which is linked below and yeah look forward to episodes or look on the feed now depending on where you're listening on tales of the jedi with our friends at pink milk there's going to be some other guests coming up from lucasfilm and some things that i'm very excited for such as our rebels rewatch coming back but for now for me for goose for the character of Kino Loy and Andy Serkis himself. We will catch you next time. Punch it, Chewie.